Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast, the podcast all about the good, the bad and the ugly of British policing. If you're interested in how policing works and you want to hear some incredible people talking about what they did in their policing careers, then this is definitely the podcast for you. Sometimes we cover some pretty gory or distressing subjects and there may be a bit of swearing from time to time. So probably best to keep the kids out of earshot. Right, here we go. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Tango Gillette Foxtrot podcast. Ian here, this is episode 74. So in this episode, you'll be able to listen to uh, an interview uh, conversation that I had which I really, really enjoyed. I know I always say that, but I really enjoyed uh, chatting to him, is the one and only Alfie Moore. So Alfie, uh, for those I'm sure lots of you will know who he is, um, he is the star of the BBC Radio 4 uh, comedy series It's a Fair Cop. Uh, he's also been on lots of other things. Um, he's a stand-up comedian, uh, tours all over the country, does a very regular gig at the Edinburgh Festival every year. And uh, yeah, ex-police officer, nearly 20 odd years in policing as a Sarge, as a PC and a sergeant, and then left um, just before getting promoted to inspector. He's a really, really great guy. And I really loved every single minute of our conversation. It was just brilliant. So I really hope that you enjoy listening to our chat. Uh, before I do, just very briefly, uh, yeah, the fallout continues on the horrific revelations of the crimes of David Carrick in the Met. Lots of commentary in all the usual sort of places. People seriously talking about um, whether the Met should be disbanded. Oh my God. Um, I don't think that. But um, I did put a, an article on my LinkedIn profile, which was written by my friend and ex-colleague, Dominic Adler, uh, which, uh, in which he, he sort of goes into the, um, the arguments for why, you know, that time may have arrived, uh, if not for disbanding the Met, obviously, because you need to have a Metropolitan Police Service, but whether the Met has just needs some really radical surgery. Um, I don't really know what the answer to that question is and, and I haven't got time to really go into the ins and outs of it for the purposes of this podcast. But if you, for those of, our, of you who are on LinkedIn, um, you can find that article in on my profile as a post. Alternatively, you can go to the website Substack, which is a bit like WordPress. It's for um, for authors and writers to put their their um, content out there and search for Substack uh, Dominic Adler and you'll find that article really interesting but there's been lots of stuff everybody's weird like I, I got quite pissed off today and I put a couple of bad tempered responses onto various people's posts um, there's one from an, a metropolitan police officer I think she's only got about 12 months in or something uh, it was reposting an article by Matthew Paris in the Times where Matthew Paris was was um, you know making the argument for why every police officer should have a degree as if that's somehow uh, some kind of protection against issues around 
integrity and criminality in the police. I've got to say, in my experience, that is definitely not the case. I worked with uh, many graduates who were uh, had the highest levels of integrity and some who were absolutely appalling uh, people. Equally, I worked with the majority of people I worked with over the years were not graduates and, uh, and certainly most of them had very high levels of integrity. So to try and link the police degree issue with integrity, to my mind, is just uh, nonsense, really. And one of the points I was making in that post was that at the moment it feels like, um, you know, those who have got an opinion on policing are like arseholes, aren't they? Everyone's got one. And um, and somebody somebody came on and, and made a, uh, a comment which made me chuckle. They said, yeah, and not only do they have one, but they also stink. Um, and I do think that's what it's like. It's the people who seem to have the strongest opinions about policing is inversely proportionate to the amount of knowledge that they actually have about policing. You know, they, they watch a couple of episodes of Line of Duty and maybe a couple of episodes of The Bill and that's it. And suddenly everyone's a bloody expert, aren't they? Um, so, yeah, it's a really bad time for policing, isn't it? Anyone who's been following what's going on in the news at the moment and a lot of the commentary around policing is just so damaging, unbelievably damaging. I read another post on LinkedIn today about someone who... There's an ex-police, an ex-police officer who now works as a sort of senior manager in a uh, large corporation and he's moving on to a new job and is recruiting someone to replace him. Uh, and he said he had something like 90 applicants uh, who are all currently serving police officers, desperately trying to get out of the organisation. You just think to yourself, oh my God. But um, anyway, enough of that. Um, let's get into the conversation with Alfie. This week on the Tango Juliet Foxer podcast, I'm absolutely delighted to have uh, comedian and ex-police officer Alfie Moore. Alfie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ian. Yes, lovely to be here. <laughs> and is it worth just... Um, kind of sharing with everyone the complete nightmare we've had for the last sort of 15 minutes of trying yes. to get why not get the bloody camera sorted out so so uh so yeah you you've clearly got your technological gremlins um i would have thought somebody of your stature would have got some tech whiz kid from the bbc and to sort of do all of that kind of stuff for you yes very misleading uh the tech whiz kids from the bbc don't really exist well having said that uh, they they do they, they have some one of the series of one of the radio shows, it's a fair cop. They uh, we did on Zoom during the lockdown, and I thought it would be terrible, and I resisted, and I said, "No, I can't do it on Zoom." Mm. But they sort of said, uh, "No, you're doing it if you want the series," and because it's all interacting with the audience, of course. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. We, we had to do it uh, by ringing people up. Oh the interaction. God! And I thought <laughs> this is going to be terrible, and everybody could see me on Zoom at home. But I was stood in the in in a theatre in London, the BBC Radio Theatre, with the producer sat in a chair in front of me, and that was it. Oh but, God! Uh, but but there was a uh, I could hear everybody, uh, which was weird because it was uh, like several hundred people, and so you could hear. Babies. So they were all they were all dialed into it on a. Zoom they were all day. dialed in, and oh I was God. just stood talking into a microphone like I, I would be doing the show, and. Uh, the, the thing is, of course, that the, the you could hear babies crying. Uh, one couple started arguing, <laughs> a dog barking. <laughs> They'd all got the mics on, so we could some, hear the laughter. Yeah, at least half a dozen Amazon deliveries as well. 
but back to the BBC Techie people, and they they were able, able to switch the troublesome mics off. The seven or eight hundred audience. Oh God! That they could isolate certain. So I don't know how they did that. Oh. And uh, we rang people up for the audience interaction. And so this was uh, series six. And when I listened to it, I thought it would be awful. When I listened to it, you couldn't tell. It, it really? felt like they were in the room. Really. And it, and it didn't feel like I was talking to people down the phone. It was. It was. So there, I've never been so impressed. Well, my most uh, my most cringeworthy um, podcast interview. I won't say who it was um, because that would be embarrassing them. Well, it's actually they didn't do anything wrong at all. They did absolutely fantastic job, but uh, it was me who screwed up because um, I, for technical reasons, I won't bore you with. I um, when I played the recording back, I only had the guest's voice and didn't have mine. Right. Um, so what I then had to do was put on my best, get my sort of equity card out, and then pretend to be asking the questions, um, and then uh, sort of edit it so that it kind of created a sort of a seamless sounding interview. Yeah. And I thought I thought this is going to be a complete car crash. Yeah. Um, and in the end, it was absolutely fine, and no one has ever said, and you know, I'm sure people will. Yeah, I think I think the person who was involved in that knows who you know what was going on. But yeah, anyway, listen, let's get on with them. Um, I'm really delighted to have you on the podcast. Really, um, it's such a such a such a privilege and a pleasure to be chatting you. to you. And um, you know, I'm a massive fan. I'll try not to blow smoke up your backside too much. Um, That's nice. But, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. And uh, I know that most of the people who listen to this are probably, um, I'd say, the vast majority are either serving or ex-police officers. Yeah. Um, but there's obviously a lot of people who are really interested in policing who listen to it as well. So, yeah, so it's a real pleasure. And um, so where are you at the moment? Are you because I know your tour has just started, hasn't it? Are you, oh, hey, I can see. Oh, ca- oh. oh my Lord. I, <laughs> I, I carried on fiddling about. And I can uh, see you now. I, 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 you know, never give up. Ian. Never give up. Let me just... <laughs> never give up. What's that? Winston, Chur- can... Winston Churchill, never, ever give up, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Uh, oh, look oh. at that. Look at you, yeah, got a beard, you got a beard and everything. I've when got you... a beard and everything. When did you grow beard. your beard? Have you grown the beard during that period of time trying to sort the camera out? <laughs> <laughs> was, it the, was it the stress of trying to sort the camera out? That... That's it. Oh, do you know what? I think we'll call that a result, Ian. Yeah. Oh, look at that. I think we'll call that a result, yeah. God moves in mysterious ways. His yeah. wonders oh. to perform. Good. That's better, isn't it? Yeah, that's 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 yeah, better. That's pretty. No, so I no, sound all right. Uh, you sound all right. You're looking marvelous. I'm looking marvelous. You've yeah. got your, your beard's looking. You've been brushing your beard specially for the occasion. It, yeah, I have. No, I have. I have no, no idea how that 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 camera came on, but it did. That's brilliant. So so I do apologise for messing you about. That's, no, uh, no, it's uh, it all adds to the stress. No, I was going to say stress. I was going to say the entertainment of doing the podcast. So. Uh, so yeah. So um, anyway, I was saying you're just about to start. A bit, I'm, I'm just looking at your schedule, your tour schedule. Oh my God, you're going to be everywhere, aren't you? Uh, yeah. I, 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 do you know I tour all the time, really? So, so but most uh, performers tend to have a tour and they do whatever forty or fifty dates or whatever in in a short period of time. They just go mad and they travel up and down. Uh, I do I do it differently, <laughs> so I'm uh, uh, I'll write a new sh- show every two years, and every right. two years I'll slowly tour that show. 
So I'll maybe do, maybe, I don't know, eight or nine shows a month right. and just uh, maybe Friday, Saturday nights or sometimes other nights and, and just travel about slowly to all the lovely venues up and down the country. And, uh, and then you must I write do a new some show. serious miles. Though. Do you drive or do you? Yeah, do you... yeah, I, I, I drive most of the time. I drive, yeah. So, so yeah, the, I don't, I don't, I don't call it working hard, but I travel quite hard. But uh, and in between of that, I'll do sort of corporate stuff and and, and bits and bobs, right, to, to pay the bills. Wow, really. it's really oh, there's just about a, about a thousand questions I'd like to ask you. I did watch a little. Did uh, for once rather than what I know what I normally do is. Um, fly by the seat of my pants. I've done it all my life. Um, my wife drives my wife mad. Um, I'm I'm a proper eleventh hour, fifty ninth minute man, and I actually deliberately put myself under intolerable levels of stress sometimes, just because I know that's where I do my best work. You know. Yeah. Um, whereas on this occasion, I did actually watch a couple of YouTube videos of you. <laughs> I treat that as a bit of preparation. So I'm, I know the questions to avoid. The questions to avoid are, what did you, what did your colleagues think of you when you left the police and become a stand-up? And what do your bosses won't ask those questions? But we may touch on that. But um, yeah. So yeah. Um, just to sort of kick it off, really, um, I'm really interested in, we'll come on to talk about all of the comedy stuff um, I'm really interested in that, but just I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this question loads of times, but just curious to know what was it that propelled you into the police in the first place? And um, yeah, sort of your early, early experiences of being in the police. What was it? OK, well, well the sexy answer is, is that I've always wanted to be a cop and whatever. Uh, mm. That's not, not true for my case. So I. I left school just before my 16th, before I was actually 16, actually, I left school. Uh, I found out many years later that I'm, I'm dyslexic. Right. So I'm dyslexic and dyspraxic, actually. So mm. it means I've got, I, I didn't make the transition to stand-up because I think I was waiting for the sat-nav to be invented. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd never find all the places that I set off to, to go to. So I, I didn't do well at school. I, I didn't like school at all. And uh, I guess I was the... You know, if you're not the clever boy or the sporty boy, you know, all kids want attention. So I, I guess I was a class clown at mm. school. Mm. Uh, and uh, I left. I'm sure I was very disruptive. I, I apologise if my old teachers are still alive somewhere. <laughs> I do uh, miss the story. Did the you English completely teacher. torture them, did you? Yes, yeah. Uh, and it takes you a while to be funny, doesn't it? It's a learned thing, and they had to mm. be part of that process. Uh, and so did I. Uh, but... But uh, so, yeah, I left school. And so I'm from a long line of Alfie, Alf Moores, as far back as I can remember, uh, as I can trace, great, great granddad Alf, my dad Alf, granddad Alf, and they were all engineers in Sheffield Steelworks. Mm. So born in Sheffield and left school at 16, and he did, did well if you got a trade. Uh, and off I went into uh, my, my father, Big Alf, said, get a trade and you'll always have something. And he's, he's right, I've got tinnitus. In both ears. <laughs> so I, I went to Steelworks and served an apprenticeship, four-year apprenticeship it was back then in mechanical engineering. Right. Uh, but there was a sort of a recession in the 80s, a steel strike and then a recession. And I they made all the apprentices redundant mm. uh, on their 20th birthday when their apprentice finished, apprenticeship finished. Uh, right. It started at 16. Uh, so I was made redundant and I ended up... Uh, and suddenly there was no skilled jobs available. 
because mm. the, the the recession uh, in industry, and I ended up driving an overhead crane in the steelworks, and I hate mm. heights. So, but... <laughs> well, so those are really big, tall ones, are they? Uh, what well, it, it wasn't really. It was on. on it, it was maybe about I don't know about thirty or forty feet up. It wasn't oh, right, like okay. massive, but it, right. it, it it was bad enough for me. Yeah, and I used to sit in this little wooden box with my sandwiches, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. So it was a looking back, what a miserable, horrible <laughs> existence it was. And of course, you'd you'd be trying dropping lumps of metal onto machine beds or in, into people's centre laves. Yeah, and, and they'd all be complaining because you'd be doing it an inch wrong, this and that, and, they, and they'd be effing and blinding and shouting <laughs> and you'd be in a box with, with no comeback at all because nobody yeah. could hear you yeah. and you'd know so, so you had to have all this abuse and i, yeah. I think that was you thought there's got to be more to life than this then. yeah i'll get abuse <laughs> while wearing a uniform instead i thought <laughs> yeah right. so so you know i find it interesting in life is you don't know what aspect i don't know if there's a big plan but mm. you're being trained quite a lot for a, a, another aspect of life really and that trained me Nobody could ever wind me up after that because you know after after a few years of taking that abuse with no recall whatsoever, uh, then uh, uh, you're used to it. Anyway, so uh, I was fed up with this existence, and, and the recession dragged on in in the trades in in Sheffield in engineering, and I I thought, what else can I do now? Policing, uh, although we know there's been some recent changes, was one of the few jobs you could walk into unqualified get a decent wage from day one and they would they would train you on the yeah. job yeah and uh and so i applied on that basis yeah it was one of the few things i could do and i didn't want to stop in in in, in sheffield i fancied a change and it wasn't uh, bad money in those days was it no it, it, it was decent money when, when you joined the police uh of course you got the the annual increments uh, mm. uh that system's changed a little bit now but, uh, but yes, yeah, so I applied for uh, the Lincolnshire Force and uh, I left Sheffield in 1987. Just as Meadow Street started to close all the pits, right. I, decided to, uh, <laughs> I decided to leave. And, uh, and I got married young. I got married at 20. So my, my, my wife and I started a new life uh, from, from the busy city of Sheffield and I went to work at Skegness in Lincolnshire. Bloody hell. After, after doing my sort of initial 14-week residential training. Have you, got one of those, have you got one of those Fizz t-shirts you can get? So it's, it's okay, the Skegness t-shirt. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. No. Apologies to anyone who lives in Skegness. But it's a, if you look up Viz, as in Viz comic, and Skegness, it's like a picture of sort of a kind of cartoon fat lady with a a bucket and spear hopping down the beach and said, Skegness, it's fucking shit. <laughs> I have seen it now you've mentioned it, yeah. And I and I know the lad that's uh that the there's a couple two lads I think that write this. Oh do you? I'm trying to remember his name, but he's a stand-up. Uh oh, is he? Yeah, so he's a nice oh, I still kid. love it. I love it now yeah. as much as I loved it way back in the 1980s when I first saw it. And... Yeah, I know all these uh, top tips. I used to like the top tips. Top tip uh, to, uh, to to save you uh, save you packing up loads of bags and carrying them carrying them out of the supermarket. Eat all your groceries at the checkout was was one of the top tips. <laughs> one week, I, I know they're on they're on they're all on drugs, aren't they? Yeah, but, um, yeah. So you went to Skegness, bloody hell. Yeah. So, so what? Well, I mean, I don't. I've got to right say, up on Dunsmore for for I, the first fourteen. Oh, weeks. You went to Wrighton, all right? The, okay. the iconic Wrighton. Yeah. yeah. 
It's now been hijacked by the college. (laughs) (laughs) I I just live up the road. I live far from Wrighton, actually. Um, Yeah, pretty soulless looking. I drove it past it the other day, actually. Looked past it, sort of give me my, you know, give me the shivers actually driving past it. But um, yeah, so you went to Skegness. You would have done your training with people from all over then, wouldn't you? Well, I've got that memory. I don't know about you. I, I still remember it vividly. So I was a young man in my early 20s, and I remember pulling up to that security box, to that barrier down, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. where they got a list of new recruits <laughs> that were ticking off as you got in, and you had to show your, your ID, and you had to do yeah, the, yeah. some sort of security check. And I remember nervously pulling up to that barrier, that red and white <laughs> pole, as, as, a, as, as, a, as a naive early 20s young man uh, with yeah. my suitcases packed in the back. And uh, I remember how, how daunting that, that was. Mm. Exciting as well, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the anticipation. I didn't know what to expect, but I just remember that feeling of nervousness as you pull. It's on. Game on. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I was exactly the same with me going to going to Hendon. It was terrifying, absolutely terrifying, you know. But uh, but yeah. So um, so yeah, going to going to Skegness. Then what was that like? I mean, obviously you you kind of grew up in Sheffield. Did you know Skegness at all? Did you know that Not part at of the all. world? It was a dream of of of, uh, uh, of wanting to go live in the country a little bit. A part of me, even though I've 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 always sort of uh, you know uh, quite densely populated city uh, Sheffield. Uh, I always had a bit of a dream, and so did uh, my wife that would uh, would have a bit of a good life and go mm-hmm. live. And uh, if I was starting a new career and I could I could uh, apply for any force, mm. why not apply for for the rural one? Yeah, and you, you didn't get your posted until you finished training school was the system back then. Yeah, but I sort of forced the hand. Right. I I I bought myself a little bungalow. Right, and uh, we got a mortgage on a little bungalow. Uh, at Sandylands, about 10 or 12 miles outside Skegness, to force the Rands to, to have this new starting life uh, right. at the seaside. And it worked. Uh, they, they, they fell for it. They fell for it and posted me to Skeggy. Bloody hell. So um, I, um, years ago, I did a project. Um, I, I never did it. I only did two projects in a 30-year police career. I did two projects, both of which one was like based you know, in my home force. I didn't have to do very much travelling. Uh, but the other one took me all over the country and I went to every single police headquarters in the whole of England, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland. And I remember um, writing a lighthearted email to the chief constable of Lincolnshire um, after I went to visit them. And I said, Congrats- sir, congratulations, you've officially got this, the ugliest police headquarters I've ever seen in the whole of all 43 forces in England and Wales. Now, I don't know if it was the same when you were there, but my, my recollection of Lincolnshire Police Headquarters is that it is like a Stalinist, brutalist concrete thing, isn't it? Nettleham, yeah, just outside Lincoln, a place called Nettleham. Yes, it is. It is quite sort of, uh, uh, yeah, a little bit carbuncle yeah. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a nuclear shelter or something yeah you know. yeah not a bad thing <laughs> but it's at the bottom of the runway so you can watch the red arrows can't you yeah you can yeah yeah i remember it i remember sneaking out on our first week induction week where we got massive bollocking because we sneaked sneaked out went to the pub and and come back loud and drunk <laughs> <laughs> my 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 little sort of uh initial cohort uh and and uh, I don't know if anybody's mentioned Wrighton and, and the infamous Tommy Trickett. Has anybody mentioned Tommy Trickett? No, no, Tommy that? Trickett was like the uh, 
I don't think he was actually a promoted sergeant, but he got the stripes for, for the purposes of riding. One of the trainers, but he was a sort of drill right. type trainer that was an absolute sort of psycho, yeah. shouty, racist, misogynist. It's like and, comic, <laughs> comic book character. Yeah, and I, and I think it was only a couple of years later. So that was 87 when I went. A couple of years later, I think he got sent back to force. I don't think he got psyched, but I think they, they realised that his time had, had done. <laughs> and they sent him, him the, back to force. They put him in the police museum as a sort of a living, <laughs> as sort of a, a sort of an, an art installation yeah. or something, you know? Yeah. But, he, but a bit of the class clown, I guess, sort of uh, stayed with me and he decided that I was the enemy and he was going to break me. <laughs> I remember him shouting at me saying, you're on thin ice more and the ice is cracking all around you. And he just, he just shouted at me. And however immaculate my uniform was, he'd find something and I'd be marching up and down at 9pm and 1am. And he was a bit like a really shit, shit version of Office of the Gentleman. <laughs> when, when I, was just about, I was just about to say, yeah. Was just, uh, oh, God. Yeah, no, but I like but... anything like that. You know, I remember liking it. You know, it's strange. Uh, I remember thinking, come on then, you know. You know, and I like the bullying the boots and the pressing uniform and the marching up and down. And I, I sort of liked the, the the log runs and the... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, no. painful as it was, you yeah. know. Yeah, I did as well. I, 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 quite, I quite like the discipline side. I just... My memories of training school were just laughing all the time yeah you know, just just yeah. it was just an absolute and i've come on to that as well about policing generally um i i mean with with the exception of you know a few postings here and there working for psychopaths and you know um you know having some terrible managers or just jobs that just weren't quite you you know what i mean um i just laughed my head off for for thir- the best part of 30 years yeah, you know, honestly, the, and that's the thing about policing. It it is such, I mean, such a rich vein of humour, isn't there? I mean, there's yeah. so much comedy in policing, isn't there? Yeah, and that's and that's a real difficult uh, in this day and age where policing and everybody else, but but especially policing, is being dragged into to the so-called culture wars. Hmm. Humour is is a subject that that people are sort of avoided a little bit. They don't know how to deal with it. How to how to uh, Mm. Uh, but nicknames, stuff like that, uh, and inappropriate humour, and the WhatsApp mm. groups, and all the stuff that that's, that's uh, a point of topic is, is interesting for me to watch as uh, yeah. a yeah, former yeah. professional police officer and now a professional comedian. One foot in each world, yeah. I, I find it very, very interesting that, yeah. that how, how yeah. we deal with this because, as you know, the, the humour for camaraderie and productivity and the old pressure release valve. Yeah. Fabulous. So the positives are, are, are much more beneficial than the negatives. Yeah. But the um, negatives are, you know, uh, and I was wondering, I was actually sort of having, I was, you know, thinking about this the other day, thinking about trying to put myself into the position of being say a, um, you know, experienced DC as I was back in the day or a, a sort of a sergeant, you know, running a team or whatever. What, I mean, I suppose I need to ask this question, don't I, of of some people who are doing that to say, what's it actually like now? It can you still have a laugh? Can you still sort of take the piss out of each other in the way that we did all the time? Um, or has it all become just Sanitized. terribly serious? You know? Yeah, uh, I don't know is the answer. Uh, 
I'm hoping to find find out soon because uh, I'll be sort of going back in and doing some stuff in in. So I'm looking oh, really? very, very what's much that? looking for, forward what's to that? that. What's that doing? Well, I, I'm I've been out so sorry <clears throat> about three years now. I've been out, and I'm very conscious yeah. that uh, the BBC kindly uh, Radio Four keep commissioning the show. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to come across as one of these old, ex-old, grumpy, sort of irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. So I, I still want to be involved. And uh, the organisation, the establishment seems to to like what, what I do. The sort of, even oh. though it's it's comedy and comedy is yeah, dangerous yeah. for organisations like policing, as we've said, they, they sort of, uh, I think they consider me a safish pair of hands. Yeah. Uh, and I get sort of booked to to host a lot of sort of police awards and speak at right. some police conferences and stuff right. like that. Uh, and so, but I've been invited by a couple of chief constables when I've dropped the hint mm. uh, that I've, I've got a new series to write and I've, I like it to be relevant and current and yeah. accurate. Yeah, and yeah. they've said, come in, come in. We'll work uh, any department you like, come in. And, uh, and oh, so I'm brilliant. very grateful for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's um, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you're you were in in the job for a long time, and you know, whilst whilst there is that uh, rich vein that you can mine to yeah. for your comedy, inevitably policing changes, doesn't it? And yeah, um, you know, I've been out for just over three. Well, I've been out for three, three and a half years now, and um, yeah, I've got no doubt whatsoever that if I was to go back. Um, it would be a very steep learning curve for me to sort of just get my head around a lot of the stuff that's changed in that short period of time, really. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, things like released under investigation that, mm. uh, you know, is which must have changed the whole dynamic, really. You know, mm. it, it was either charge or bail or, or NFA, yeah. wasn't it? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. and now... And, most, as I understand it, are released under investigation. Yeah, which, well, which... that's just kicking, to my mind, that's just kicking the can down the road, really. It's just uh, rather it than is. just getting a grip of something and saying, right, what's happening with this? Is it? Is it? Is this going, are we going to charge well, this person? Are we going to... Well, Theresa May's uh, uh, <laughs> fabulous, yeah. f- fabulous new reforms, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody said, no, that won't work. A, a month, 28 days, that, that just won't work. The system will collapse. Yeah, I know better. I know yeah, better. We'll yeah. do it anyway. I know. So, so in terms of your status, then I take it because my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong here, your status when you when you kind of went off to do comedy was that you kind of took a career break. Is that right? Initially? No, uh, no. Initially, I was doing both at the same time. So, right. so uh, I, I was doing fine. I uh, PC for years, uh, and then uh, uh, my second marriage, hmm. uh, she. Uh, they were quite from militaryish family, so so my, we're both on our second marriage. And my my wife's previous husband was a, a wing commander, right? A son, an officer in the Royal Marine Commandos, you right. know. So uh, a father, navy. So they were like a proud military, mm-hmm. and people of rank. Yeah, and uh, I re- they're from from the south, and mm-hmm. I remember breaking the news to a to a, a posh mother. That she's seen somebody. A northern uh, comic. Yeah, what, <laughs> what, could, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> she, she said, uh, uh, where's he from? He's, he's, uh, he's from the north. He's from Yorkshire. And, oh, and she started to uh, tremble at that point. And she said, well, what does he do? She said, he's a police officer, mother. 
what what gets, rank just, is he? Just gets worse. <laughs> what rank <laughs> is he? And she said, constable. And at that point, she said, oh, no, they're not like us. She said, Northern oh. Copper. <laughs> so a Northern Copper was a PC. So... It really, my wife said, "Oh, that's too embarrassing for the family." You got, you know. You, uh, mm. So, I, I studied for my sergeant's exam, uh, right. and I found it, like I said, dyslexic, and never, never opened a book since since I'd been at school. So I found it difficult to get into, mm. and because, imagine. like I said, because I, I struggled to 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 read, I've been bluffing all the way through my police career. Can you yeah. look at this log, sergeant, and that log? And I'm like, <laughs> not really, but. <laughs> I think I've caught the gist of it, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And we used to come in for decisions. Uh, my PCs and, and DCs coming for a decision on a file, and uh, hmm. and I'd say, "Sit down and, and, and tell me about it." And they say, well, so. "Just read the summary or read the <laughs> statement." I'm like, "No, you're all right. I prefer if you tell me." <laughs> I've been like that all my career. Where I, yeah. I've avoided reading things, yeah. which is a, a bit of a handicap. But uh, it wasn't uh, like shir- like charades, was it? In your office, you'd have to they'd have to act it on it. Yeah, that sort of thing. It was a bit like that. So, so I had this bizarre, and I didn't really know I was dyslexic. Really, I just thought I was I was a bad reader. Uh, on, a, uh, on a plus side, you must have been brilliant at the Osprey Part Two exercises, though. Yes, that 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 compens- <laughs> that that. Well, actually, I, I, I say the Osprey Part. I was all right with with a board, but Osprey Part Two. I remember uh, one of the exams. I think it was the inspector exam, and. Uh, again, that was a good example of the dyslexia. I'd mixed the two characters up, and the first one in, I thought it was, I thought it was the counsellor, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and it turned out to be the the, the guy complaining about the antisocial behaviour. And I got the two completely mixed up, and I never sort of twigged it. Yeah. And I got the bottom mark in the country for that particular <laughs> station, which is every you know another record broken. Yeah, I got the bottom mark in the country in, in that particular station. But but yeah, so so uh, yeah, it, I I found once I got into it, I quite liked the law, and 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 I, I quite like learning about it. Weirdly, because I've been in the job maybe about twelve or thirteen years at, at, at that point, mm. and I I passed the sergeant's part one, part two, when we had a board. Uh, quite went through not to over like dominoes, and I thought that's all right. Mm. And then, well, how long before you can take the? <coughs> excuse me, the the inspectors. My my ambitious wife said, uh, ambitious <laughs> on my behalf. So like a, <laughs> said behind every successful man <coughs> and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. She king makers, uh, I think they call them. King yeah, maker. yeah. I I remember taking her to, uh, and I won't give any names, but I remember taking her to uh, sort of a, a works to uh, and. Uh, so it's the first time she'd she'd met the people I, I work with, and uh, I'll change it. Always, always risky, isn't it? Always yeah, risky. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like uh, that guy over there, uh, uh, Barry, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Is he your sergeant? Yeah, yeah. She said, uh, he's, he's not very bright, is he? And I said, not ever so bright, Barry. He's not. <laughs> no, he's, he's a nice guy, but he's not ever so bright. Uh, uh, oh. and, and that that chap over there, John, who. He, Oh yeah, you see your inspector. Yeah, he's I, not too bright. <laughs> I always kept, I always kept my private life and my professional life scrupulously apart, as far apart as possible, because yeah. I was like you. I, I'm on a, my second and last, in case she's listening to this yeah. uh, later on, and last marriage, um, and uh, with with both, I kept them well away from the police service because. I think particularly when not not it's not so bad. I think when you uh, climb up the greasy pole a little bit because you can be reasonably confident no one's going to do anything 
outrageous. But certainly when I was a PC and a DC and even probably a sergeant, yeah, I was just like, oh, no, keep no. them away from them because they wouldn't, you know, get it at all. But she was like, well, he's your inspector uh, mm. and he doesn't seem right sharp. <laughs> and but how much more money is he on than you? About double, about double. Yeah. And it was that moment I thought, I think she realised, yeah, you, you need to be, you need to be an inspector. <laughs> If he's on double, you need yeah. to do that. Why aren't you doing that? So I can't pass exams. So so anyway, uh, pass the sergeants, and then uh, I've got into it. How, how quickly can I take the inspectors? And I think it was the following year. So while I was on a roll, I took the inspectors part one and, and part two we had to do then. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the list for promotion. Yeah. Uh, so so I'd got uh, I'd nearly got 20 years in now, so all I had to do was just take the promotion. Oh, yeah. Inspect this pension, inspector wage, that'll do. Keep my head down. That'll appease the, the posh family I've married into. Yeah. Uh, we're sorted. That's a sensible thing to do. But once I hit 40 and the midlife crisis struck, mm. uh, I, I don't know. I, I just want, I know my, 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 my father had died. Uh, my father had died the year before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if that sort of makes you reevaluate a bit of a crossroads yeah i mean i i think out of all of the things i mean there's lots of things i find really really fascinating about your sort of horrible word isn't it journey your story but i think that was such a brave kind of thing to do to leave policing just as you're on the cusp of getting promoted to inspector with probably 10 ish years left to do that's a big big step isn't it yeah, well, I didn't really. I was fortunate. I was fortunate because I I, I took the career break, but but uh, yeah, I don't know. My father down whether that was a, you know, uh, I need to get on and do what I want to do type, you know, life short. You know, that'll mm. be me soon type thing. Apart mm. from the grief you're feeling, you start to yeah. evaluate. Well, how long have I got? You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, he's only twenty years ahead of me. So so mm. uh, so I, I'd start. My wife took me to a a, a comedy club and. Mm. They ran a new act competition in the middle. I had a few drinks, put my name down. A couple of weeks later, I had a go. Uh, and uh, oh god, was it? Was it? I imagine it must be the most terrifying. terrified. Absolutely thing. terrified. You've no stab vest, you've no PPE. You're just out there, and it's that walk. It's that walk. They talk about uh, the, the walk from once they announce you, and you have to walk up to the mic. Mm. and the clapping and clapping and clapping and clapping and clapping and you walk up to the mic and then you stop and then they oh, stop and suddenly God. you can hear a pin drop oh, God. and everybody's looking at you oh. and you've got a again i mentioned earlier about jobs preparing you for future roles that you're not aware of at the time yeah very similar stand up to policing in as much mm. as you walk out on stage as a cop you go to an incident room full of strangers there's tension mm. And you have to make a connection very quickly. You have to make an assessment, a connection to the people in front of you. If you don't, you're in trouble. You're going to get snotted or it's going to go pear-shaped. It's going to be awkward. Yeah. Uh, A comedian walks on stage, room full of strangers. You've got the same tension. Everybody's Mm. got the shoulders up until that first big laugh and you can physically watch the shoulders drop and everybody can relax. They want you to succeed. Yeah, Yeah, they do. And and it's it's the same, same deal. Make a connection with those strangers in front of you. And you're going to have a, a nice gig. Don't, and you're going to be grafted. Just like the police. Just like the police. So I started doing it as a, as, a, as a hobby, and I was driving and doing open mic nights in the back of pub with, with varying success. Mm. 
that there's a theory that, that, that stand-ups have got a personality disorder, which I, I, I think I subscribe to because normal people, 40-something... Well, wouldn't, wouldn't do it, imagine. No. Your professional job as a copper, you're driving home in silence without the radio on because you've died on your arse. Yeah. In the back, so you humiliated yourself. Oh. You're a room full of people. And, and most normal people at that point would say, you know what? Yeah. No. I don't think I. No. I don't think I'll do I do. I mean, the, I suppose the nearest. The, I, I mean, I really take my hat off to you and to your kind of colleagues in the profession who do it because it just strikes me as being a complete terrifying experience. But I think the nearest most of us have ever come to that is probably the disastrous promotion board. You yeah. know, when you're you're sat there looking at at people who are looking. I mean, I remember one. It was I think it was my second attempt to be a chief inspector and i remember um the the three faces looking at me thinking this, and just knowing this is not going well and and they're and they're starting to look <laughs> at you sort of with curiosity more than <laughs> <laughs> what more the than... hell is he doing in front of us yeah. and and my friend uh, who was on the board actually was a chief superintendent at the time and he he sort of debriefed it afterwards with me and he said and the expression he used was and from that moment on, you were abseiling into the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> I ought to put that on. That'd be a great name for an Edinburgh show. Abseiling into the abyss would be a <laughs> by Alfie Moore. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because uh, I thought I knew. I don't know about you, and I'm sure sure any cops listening would, would would say that they we think we understand people, don't we? Because we've we've uh, we've dealt with victims, we've dealt with uh, offenders, we've interviewed people. And there's all that control about the the lies coming and 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 when to drip feed stuff and uh, so so I thought I knew a lot about the psychology of people mm. uh, and I, I thought I understood people very well. Stand up sort of takes it to a different place, mm. whereas you're on stage as as you've just identified with the, with the inspectors board. Uh, sorry, the chief inspectors board. You're on stage and you're having this conversation in the back of your mind all the time you're speaking because mm. you can't leave any gaps mm. but as you're speaking you think there's a guy over there he keeps uh, uh, he keeps nodding off and uh, i'm losing the audience here have i got what 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 would work what should i do should i change a rhythm should I, I i try some more material and you can and and the and the room is like one entity very often and you can feel the energy dropping and then lifting or yeah. you know if something happens is a bang do i deal with that do i ignore it and 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 it's it, yeah, the, the, the like, uh, yeah, a, a mass consciousness is this group in front of you that's changing all the time. And yeah, it's really yeah. fascinating. Really. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I've never done it, obviously, and, and God, I'll never will, you know, uh, not unless I'm some sort of acid trip or something. But, you know, it's a bit like public speaking. You know, I, I'm quite I quite enjoy public speaking, you know, doing. Um, you know, standing in front of three or four hundred people in a conference doesn't phase me at all. Other people would be having, you know, massive anxiety attacks. Um, but the thought of having to entertain people and, yeah. and get a laugh from them is is just terrifying. I mean, have you have you had um, have you had occasions where just it's just you just think I just can't wait to get off the stage here? Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I've got a different attitude, a more professional attitude now, where I, I you know, I don't mind. It's not personal, mm. and it's uh, you'll never stop dying on your ass. There isn't a comedian in the world 
doesn't doesn't die on their arse sometimes. Really. Uh, so you'll never stop that. If you if I mean the way to stop it is to is to take your foot off the gas and just play to the nice audiences that you know are going to like you. I mean the right. tour shows are the nicest gigs because they've 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 bought a, a ticket to see you, hmm. and 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 they already like you. So you yeah. walk on stage and say, good evening, I'm Alfie Moore, and everybody claps. They're yeah, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. because you know, so they're the easiest gigs. Mm. Outside of that arena, you've got, uh, I mean, I don't do many sort of mixed bill comedy club gigs now. Mm. I'll do a, a, a few just to keep my hand in. But obviously, if you're touring to those towns, you, you mm. want them to buy a ticket for your, for your show. So that's the next level of difficulty, really, because... Although they've come to see comedy, they've not come to see you. Right. They've just come to see a comedy club. And there might be a professional compare who's, who's really a comedian and three or four acts on the bill, and mm -hmm. you're just one of them. Right. So you've got a window of opportunity to, yeah. to, to bring them to your camp and to get them to like you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they might not like you. They yeah. might not, you know, they might not, you know, it's uh, uh, they might like the person before you or the person after you. So, mm. so uh, that's more challenging. And do you and then, get uh, do you get in those types of scenarios? Do you get sort of like annoying hecklers? Kind of depends where it is. If it's uh, nice midweek comedy clubs, uh, not so much. Weekend uh, in a city, in a in a nightclub or wherever, it, it's just a warm up before they go out on the pop, really. Yeah, and and or before they go dancing, and it, you know they might already be paralytic when they're mm. in front of you, incapable of listening. So once again, yeah. it's like a cop reasoning with with a, a drunken person. It's <laughs> it, 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 it's not personal. Yeah, uh, but it but uh, uh, you're wasting your time trying to communicate with people that are, are impaired and, and aren't going to listen. And yeah. and it's, that's no, again that's no difference between a, a comedian. But mm. then you go up another level to the. Uh, the really difficult gigs, <laughs> mm -hmm. and 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 that are corporates. So corporates pay good money, and I've been right. grateful for corporate work because that's before mm. the tour made any money, and the tour was losing money. Um, mm. When I got no profile at all, then the corporate gigs paid the bills and allowed mm. me to, to survive uh, on my career break. But the corporate gigs, gigs uh, you've got the tour show where they've come to see you, you've got the mixed bill, cabaret nights where they've come to see uh, comedy but not yeah. you mm -hmm. and then you've got the corporate gigs where nobody's come to see you <laughs> and, and, and you're, you're just in the way as well. yeah, yeah they're all pissed uh the, the, you're just in the way and 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 the dancing starting when you're finished or uh and and some of the logistically you know they're not set up for for, for performance so logistically yeah. you stood at the end of a long thin room with mm. three or four hundred people in in black ties, yeah. all paralytic. Oh uh, God! Uh, oh God! Often can't even see you, uh, and and the room is unplayable. Sometimes I actually, I actually can't think of anything worse. If no, I'm honest. But well, but you know you're going to get paid. Yeah, <laughs> and it's good money, and it's not personal. You know, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's like being reasonable to the to the to the guy in the back of the van. Yeah, who's who's effing and blinding. Yeah, and making threats. You know, we rise above that. Yeah. Because it's I used not, to find I find all business. that. I used to find all that stuff just funny. You know. Yeah. I I, I mean I I talk about that in my book. You know, I say that the the more I was giving people advice in my book about um what to do if you get stopped by the police, I was like, rule number one, don't lose your shit. And because most cops actually enjoy it, 
you know, they, they yeah. think it's funny, don't they? And the, yeah. the more people lose their shit, the funnier it is. Yeah, and the um, calmer you get. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The angrier they got, the calmer I used to get. <laughs> <laughs> that, that just perpetuates the cycle. They hate you being calm. And, you know, again, once again, the similarities, you know, mm. if I am absolutely dying on my arse at a corporate, there might only be me in the room enjoying it. Because I just <laughs> has, I start to find it funny and I might acknowledge it and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and they can't stand the fact that you're not panicking. They can't. Well, my wife tells a, a funny story um, about she worked for a big American corporate um, for many years and uh, she went to a, a corporate gig and, and they'd wheeled on as the after dinner speaker. I think it was Nicholas Parsons and uh, who, you know, he's, he's he was God. He had entertainment running through his veins like Blackpool Rock, didn't he? You know, he could. But apparently they just didn't take to him. And it got to the point where he was getting effectively a slow hand clap, I think, in the, the entire room until he had to leave the stage. Um, but apparently he was completely not phased by it at all, you yeah. know. So, again, it's that point, isn't it? It's not personal, is it? It's not about you. No, I remember a story about Bob Monkhouse that, that he, he played somewhere, uh, I think it was Belfast. Uh, and by the time he got on stage, they were all... Paralytic. They were all of the audience was drunk, and he's walked on, and he's he started to to do material. And as you know, Bob Monkhouse, quick fire one liner. You know mm. they've got the best chance in in a difficult mm. low attention span room. Yeah. The quick gag smiths. They're not going to mm. listen to a story. They're not going to listen to the build up to a story. But yeah. quick gags have got the best chance. Mm. And and so on he went, and uh, they weren't listening. And mm. so he ended up. Uh, for half an hour, just having a sing song, and and they all <laughs> left happy, and they were all sort of uh, and 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 you just play the room. It's yeah. it's a rule, really. And I guess once again, I, I I can't help but relating these things to to, to policing and mm. uh, uh, just go with the flow and, yeah. and, and play the room, really. So you're um kind of of what you're obviously best known for is it's a fair cop on on Radio Four, and that's a much loved um. You know, thirty so thirty minutes, about thirty minutes, isn't it? Yeah. And and I, anyone who's listening to this who who hasn't listened to that, I could not urge you more strongly to go get on BBC Sounds app and search for "It's a Fair Cop." Thank you. Or, um, it's absolutely brilliant, and it's one of my my wife and I love it, and we it's one of those things if we're on a car journey together, um, it, it's like a real treat. It's a real treat listening to them. Thank you. And, That's uh, nice of you. I appreciate you listening. We all uh, we always really enjoy, it. and what I really love about it is the fact that it's um, not just is it it's not just funny, but for people who aren't that knowledgeable about, about policing, it's also very educational. You know, there's lots of you, you clearly you get your facts right around the law, what you can and can't do, police procedure and policy, and but and it's hard you succeed you do it very successfully, but you know, such a dry subject potentially, isn't it? Yeah, and yet, and yet, you you weave you weave that kind of um, you know knowledge through the comedy, which I think is very very clever. Thank you. Yeah. Well, the the, the BBC Radio Four uh, motto uh, is is to inform, uh, educate, and entertain. Inform, educate, and entertain. So mm. so which happens to fall into the the what what the fair cop is really. Mm. It, it's and yeah, I think it highlights a few things really. One of the things it highlights is how little uh, 
the general population know about the the basics of policing mm. because the stories in, in my my show uh, are all basic shoplifter low level everyday mm. volume crimeish type stuff normally uh, yeah. but they're not the exciting line of duty it's not murders and it's not this it's, it's not it's, it's just ordinary no. hands on stuff and that's that's the gap that the public are really keen to know about behind the scenes, but mm. they don't. Most, most most members of the public don't know the difference between an arrest and a charge and the really mm. basic stuff yeah. that yeah. any cop would 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 think that uh, they do. They don't. They, they've they've got their opinion, and also opinion wise with the police, they've they've got their opinion from line of duty, yeah. or, or or what the Daily Mail says. Yeah. Or what Dave in the pub says. Yeah. That's yeah. how they form their opinion. So it is an opportunity to to look at it from a different perspective and yeah. and and understand what we're doing. And also, everybody criticizes the police, or most people do retrospectively. Mm. We see it all the time. And isn't it easy to do that? But these simple decisions mm. where where uh, as you know, in, in the show, I swear the audience in this cops are all cops for half an hour. These simple decisions. I asked them what they would have done, and here's your options, and here's what mm. the law says, and and the show proves they don't know what to do. The simple mm. decisions that they're in our shoes for that half an hour, mm. and I think it helps them appreciate how yeah. tough those yeah. real time calls are because we can't walk away. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. we we either well we can, but we either deal with it or we don't. We either rest or we don't, and we have to justify it afterwards yeah and and, yeah. and they get it now they get it mm. if if they're and it's the other thing that's really pleasantly surprised me <clears throat> is how and when i first started doing this show it's sort of radio four audience a lot of sort of middle-aged guardian reading left leading leaning and they'd come to have a pop mm. uh because it recorded in london uh met police and 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 they they turned up really, I think, to have a have a little bit of a, a nibble. Yeah. Uh, but they don't because they. It's surprising how quickly they become cops, yeah. and and they think they think like cops. Yeah. I, I did one called I think early early I think it's series two or three. It was called Gobby Nobby. Yeah. And it was just about a double crewed foot patrol uh, on a Saturday night in 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 Scunthorpe. So you're looking at the pubs, you're doing the public order patrol, shout up if you need a van, mm. and, and you're just walking up and down, sort of engaging with, with the people kicking out. And, and, and the show basically uh, was, there'd been a football match that day, and it was a, there was a, a handful of lads walking up. Uh, one of them was Gobby Nobby. Mm. And he was singing and uh, a little bit sort of too loud. And, and mm. uh, so, so you have a word with Gobby Nobby. And you say, steady on, steady on, you know, keep your tongue a bit loud. Calm yourself down. Yeah, yeah, and off we go. And, and, mm. and the story progresses where later on we get a call from the nightclub, Club 2000 in Scunthorpe, mm. and they won't let Gobby Nobby in because he's drunk. Mm. And he's squaring up to the bouncer and he's in his face. And, 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 and when you turn up, it's Gobby Nobby again. Of course it is. <laughs> and he's in your face then. And he's going a bit oh, threatening and a bit leery. Yeah. Uh, so we asked the audience what we're going to do. So is it is it time now to take some some uh, formal action or uh, and and whatever they say, you know, give him a don't do anything. To you. And they're like, well, there's a queue full of people waiting to go into the nightclub. How does that look if I'm letting him threaten me or letting him swear at me mm. and I, I look weak? And and they're all thinking, well, we can do that next time, you know. Mm. So there's that aspect going on as well. Yeah. Uh, of course, a bit later on. Uh, 
And of course, the audience, well, we, we, we yeah, give him some stronger words of advice. Mm. Uh, and and then later on, he's uh, there's somebody urinating in the uh, <laughs> and the uh, uh, the pawn broker's shop yeah. window. I think the gag yeah, yeah. was uh, down the wee by any gold sign, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> and so I, I I turn up and it's it's Gobby Nobby again. Oh well, we can't <laughs> let. Is is the offence? Is a is a sort of a, it's a public order or it's a local bylaw against urinating or whatever or littering or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh, what we're going to do now, it's, it's, it's clearly it's escalating. Uh, mm-hmm. Gobby Nobby's not going away, and uh, and and so uh, shall we give him a fixed penalty notice? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, let's do that. They go for the cop out. Let's do that. And and oh, we can't because he's too drunk to understand it. So technically, the protocol is we don't we don't ride it for people that they're too drunk to understand it. So, yeah. well, shall we put him in a taxi and make make sure he gets gets? Yeah, we'll do that. And they all order. Now I set this show up at the top with uh, the next call you're going to get is from the taxi driver, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the top of this show, I ought to have said that the, the just HMIC released release report that we weren't uh, recording one in five crimes. So this mm. is before the, the the Manchester thing a couple of years ago. This is before that, where mm. where UK wise we we weren't recording one in five crimes. And so I said, is that all right for the for, for the police to use their discretion? I said at the top of this show or uh, around crime recording, or should we record all crimes? And we took mm. a vote on it, and everybody in the 300-seater room said the police should record all crimes. Mm. So, so, And then I started this story. And, and then, okay, so I, I sent Gobby... Offences, yeah. Yeah, I sent Gobby Nobby off to the taxi rank, and, and that's it, game over. Of course, I'm walking into the Nick uh, mm. 10 minutes later, and somebody comes around the corner, blood dripping from his nose into his kebab, Saying, I've been assaulted, I've been assaulted, I've been assaulted. <laughs> and, of course, it's Gobby Nobby. Mm. Somebody, unsurprisingly, yeah. has finally smacked Gobby Nobby. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's reporting uh, an ABH, an assault, yeah. Section 47. So that would really involve me if we're doing it properly. You know, there's no ambulance. So I have to run him up to the hospital to get, get him checked out and, and uh, take a, at least, if he's too drunk for a formal statement and pocket notebook entry, if it was a more serious assault, we'd think about seizing his clothing for forensic opportunities and going to the council CCTV and starting this whole process for drunken Gobby Nobby, hmm. who's been asking for it all night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so over to you, audience. What are we going to do? Yeah. Who's, who's recording that crime? And I... And, and they became the street cop. And out of all the audience, there was, I think there was about uh, five people prepared to record that assault. Yeah, I know. And then, of I course, I said, can you remember at the start when we did, yeah. you know, and, 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 and that, I mean, it's not an exercise, it's entertainment. It's, it's, yeah, but it's, it's, an important, it's an important point, isn't it, to, that people, you know, have to try, you have to try and help people to read beyond the headline. The headline sounds awful, doesn't it? Please fail yeah. to record crime. Um, but, you know, and I use an example in my book about um, uh, how we would have dealt with a situation maybe 15 years ago. So you've got two pissheads having having a having a punch up outside a, an off license at nine o'clock at night in the high street. And we would have separated them. We would have got the less pissed one. We just told him to clear off. Otherwise, he's going to get locked up. Uh, we got the more pissed one, stuck him in the back of the car and probably either taken them home or taken them like two miles down the road and kicked them out. And that's it. Job done, isn't it? Job done. Everyone's a winner. And now 
they get themselves tied up with, you know, there'll be a crime report for an affray. There'll probably be a Section 47 assault in there somewhere. There'll be, you know, oh, for this, the two cops off the street for an entire tour of duty. Um, yeah. They tie themselves up in all sorts of bloody knots uh, for something that actually no one gives a shit about. Yeah. And, and is probably not going to go anywhere when it comes to court. At the most, it's going to get... It, you know, even if it goes to court, which it almost certainly wouldn't, um, it would end up with probably being bound over to keep the peace, wouldn't it? It would. And, and you know, I think that's a reflection. It's not just a police thing. That's a reflection of our uh, our risk averse society. Uh, mm. We've become more and more risk averse. Mm. And a lot of time is spent uh, fear of complaints. And a lot of time is, is, is spent uh, for how it looks rather yeah. than its effectiveness. And I think that's a reflection of society, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Risk assessments and... and uh, so, so the pendulum always swings one way and then the other, but, but it's, it's maybe time to, to readdress that. It's maybe yeah. time to reevaluate the role of a police constable. Well, I'm sure it is in 2023. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's an interesting, uh, really, inter to move on to that subject, actually, because I'm just curious what, what you think. I mean, so, so obviously my book, was called Tango Juliet Foxtrot, which, as you will know, is kind of code for the jobs fact, um, which is something. Uh, I mean, that was a that was kind of a. My understanding was that was kind of a met expression, but was that an expression that was used up your neck of the woods as well? TJ? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a story that uh, I hope's true, <laughs> but but it's uh, a young police officer, a policewoman attends a report of a burglary and. Uh, multiple occupants of the address and she's taking crime report details in the, in the corner there's an old guy sat in the chair and uh it's a really old guy sat there in the corner mm. and uh one of the guys says well that, that's that that's that's Arthur that is he used to be a copper years ago years ago mm. old Arthur used to be a copper did he oh yeah 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 anyway she carries on taking the, the crime reports and she's just about to go and then Arthur old Arthur mm. sort of weakly beckons her over and she, she goes over the, the, the policewoman and he beckons her closer and closer. So she comes and he, say, he, he says in a, a faint voice, she says, you all right, love? She says, yeah. she, he says in a faint voice, is the job still fucked? <laughs> I know. Well, I actually had that. I had a guy from, who had who'd been in the, the Met Police during the Blitz, for God's sake. Yeah. And, uh, and he was in his 90s when I met him. Yeah. And uh, he was getting some ASB sort of yobs kind of pushing dog shit through his letterbox and all the usual stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, and that's what he said that to me. He said that to it, me just before it, I left. He, he yeah. grabbed my arm and pulled me in and said, uh, is the job still fucked? And I was like, I just laughed and I said, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. But the only measure, so, so that's always been said, yeah. And, and we always we always consider the, the generation coming up to be less work ethic uh, mm. and, uh, and less discipline. And that's mm. throughout history. We, we, we always think that. But if, you, if we're looking for objective uh, evidence, then I would say everybody said the job was fucked, mm. but nobody left. Mm. Mm. If anybody left, I don't know about your, I'm sure yours was the same. If anybody left, we were still talking about it six months later in the canteen. We're like, I can't believe these left. Oh, yeah. what did he left? left. The only people who left were people who if they had a serious injury or something, yeah. or, or if, they, <laughs> if they literally moved to the other side of the world or something. It was very but rare. Very, very rare. Yeah. Anybody ever left. They mm. might have got to the 26 and a half or whatever the magic number was to get pensioned off ill health. or mm. but, but nobody nobody left. I mean, mm. somebody leaving with, with 15 or years in upwards was like never happened uh 
but now let's look at the numbers now. So if you want some 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 evidence mm. uh, of the job being more fucked than it used to be, <laughs> people are leaving. People have been leaving for a number of years and they continue to leave. So yeah. that that's if that doesn't set the alarm bells going, what would? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very sad. I mean, I I you know I won't. I mean, I, I kind of tend I tend to labour the point maybe too much about. Uh, all of the bad stuff that's happened in the last sort of well since 2010 really I mean that's the whole point of writing the book the whole point of doing this podcast but obviously it's kind of it's kind of uh, evolved into something which is more about chatting to people who've got an interesting story to tell about policing but you know I do I do really worry about it and um, you know some of the stuff that's going on at the moment particularly you know in the back of all of the David Carrick revelations and Wayne Cousins and all of this on top of all of the shit that's gone on since 2010 really makes me fear for the future of policing, really. I mean, where's you, where are you on all of that? I think we're on a downward cycle. Uh, I think uh, it'll get worse before it gets better. Mm. I think that uh, it's very predictable. I think the start of it was the 2010 austerity cuts by, by the uh, Osborne, Cameron, and the one and only... Uh, Theresa May, wicked witch of the West. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I get I get Theresa May mixed up with uh, uh, Mother Theresa. Actually, the way <laughs> the way I remember it is that that uh, Mother Theresa was the angel of Calcutta, and uh, Theresa May was the police budget cutter. <laughs> so, so, but uh, so so I think that was the start of it, and and that's uh, as that over the years as uh, that's officers began to leave. Mm. As as the numbers were cut, the trays got full of work. It, it became they got frustrated because, as you know, the frustration in policing is the difficult bit. Is not facing the knife wielding maniac. We've got no. we've been trained for that stuff. Yeah, uh, it's not the frontline stuff. I think the a couple of things, but but going home and 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 thinking about the if if you got down round to all the stuff in your tray that you should have done and what's still in your tray when your leave comes up, they're the stressful things. Mm. It's not providing that quality of service, knocking on that yeah. door to speak to that witness when it when, when the job's eight weeks old, you know, mm. and they can't remember anymore. They're yeah. the stressful bits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not being I, think, to... I think for me, I find as well, I, I totally agree with what you've just said there. Um, but I also find, I mean, I, I kind of, some people would say to me, well, hold on, Ian, you were a superintendent, so, you know, you were in a position to do stuff about this. And, and I suppose I was. Um, but you're 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 a relatively still a relatively smallish cog in a massive machine, and it's a massive national machine. It's not just a local machine. Um, but I think the thing that I find particularly frustrating was the culture at a senior level of the organisation where they just didn't want to hear bad news. They don't want to hear bad news. No. You know, you would be saying, "Hold on, whoa, 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 stop this! This is this isn't what you're proposing here. Isn't going to work." And one of my previous podcast guests who used to be, it was actually the boss who, who said I was absolutely into the abyss. I got him on the podcast, one of the earlier episodes. And um, and he tells a funny story of being at, on the strategic command course, learning how to be an ACC. And and Dennis O'Connor, I think, was the, the, the chief HMI at the time. And, and it was all in the early part of the uh, Theresa May austerity years. And it was all about, all the talk was about doing more with less. We're all going to do more with less. 
And, and he was the only one in the room who had the bollocks to actually say, whoa, whoa, can, they, can somebody just explain to me here how it is that if we had 12,000 people before and we've now got 9,000 people, how are we going to do more with 9,000 people? And he was more or less told to shut up, behave himself, and he was taken to task afterwards by the course invigilators to say, you know, you need to wind your neck in and kind of become yeah. more strategic. Well, that, that's a know? danger if you have a culture, and I'm not saying we've got that culture, but but if you have a, a culture of, of rewarding, yes, people, mm. yes, men. If you have that culture of rewarding them and promoting them, then then you that's that's the system you've got if you so so instead of rewarding a culture of sort of uh, creativity and challenging if mm. you if you have a culture of rewarding yes men with promotion then that's what you get you'll get you get the home office directive agreed by the the next mm. the, the the top tier of policing and and it won't be till it reaches uh, a lower rank that people say you what we can't do that <laughs> you know yeah, nobody's yeah. said it before because yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that's not, that's going to harm your career if you say it before so, yeah. so, so, so that's that's the danger. But, but the perfect storm, as I see, started off with with with, with the budget cuts, uh, as as the uh, as the front line thinned out, people start experience started to leave. Mm. Uh, that exacerbated the problem uh, mm. because because that's uh, without experienced people training uh, the newer people, then mm. then the quality uh, starts starts to drop. As we mm. got. As a squeeze and squeeze, the quality of policing dropped. Uh, so, so that relationship with the public uh, mm. com- comes under pressure because they're not getting the service that they, they used to get. Mm. And then uh, another turning point, I think, was uh, the George Floyd uh, mm. killing, unlawful killing in America. And the only reason I don't say murder is because obviously they've got a different uh, definition yeah, yeah. of murder than what, yeah. than what we yeah. have. And uh, off the back of that, which had a dramatic effect, really, for, for all that way away in America, mm. uh, really affected uh, the mm. mood of policing in this country. Black Lives Matter movement started up uh, or, or, or came to prominence. Uh, mm. The public uh, uh, supported them. Mm. And then the national media thought, hey, oh, this is a populist move. We'll, 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 we'll now go mm. m- more anti-police and... and, uh, and in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and the public. Mm. Uh, so, so, so there was a, a significant turn then. Uh, and then what followed was uh, <clears throat> uh, COVID uh, followed not long after that, uh, mm. whereas the MPCC, Martin Hewitt, quite rightly, uh, said to the Home Office uh, when they said, well, w- w- we want to sort of keep people in because COVID's here. <laughs> And mm. uh, the MPCC, in fairness to them, said, "No, no, no. This, this is a uh, this is a public health issue. It's mm. not a police enforcement issue. Mm. And mm. and so we don't. You know, there's only one loser. Uh, our popularity yeah. rates are dropping. If yeah. we get in the middle of you know of of, of, of COVID regulations, mm. and of course, uh, so that's exactly said, exactly what happened, wasn't it? Well, that's because what what does the what what does the Parliament do then? Is they make it law. They bring in the COVID regulations, and they say, well, now it is your business." because now it's the law, and so it is in your tray. And so, of course, as you know, there was a complete cycle of, uh, we'll have a couple of weeks of uh, the police aren't policing COVID, look at all these parties, all over the pictures, all over the newspaper, they're not doing the job, and then we'll have a a week of uh, look at the draconian police 
following yeah. dog walkers with drones. Yeah. Uh, and just, handed, yeah. yeah, just flipped it one one week, one next week, the reverse, and they mm. kept that story running. Uh, and, and and then of course after that uh, we had the, the the shocking murder of Sarah Everard and and the WhatsApp groups and all the rest of it are just carrying on with with, with the kicking really. And although you, you, of course, you can't argue with those specific cases, mm. all the police ask for is is, is balance, and there is yeah. no balance in, no. In, in reporting on policing. No balance at all. I, I would I would suggest that if uh, out of ten police related stories, newsworthy stories, nine are positive mm. uh, towards policing, and one is negative. Uh, that's that's probably uh, how. Mean- do you mean nine are negative and one's positive? No, 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 in reality, I, I've, I've oh, so you mean in, not in, printed. In the, oh, in sorry, the real yeah, world, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood. What, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I would in, say newsworthy oh, stories. Oh, I'd, that... I'd say it's more like 49, well, not me, I think it's more like, you know, 29-1. You could you know? be right. Yeah, right. I'm probably being conservative with that, but 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 uh, uh, but if, even if it was only nine out of ten, we're happy with the police. You yeah. know, which which I think, if you stopped ten people in the street, have you had dealings with the police lately? What was what was the outcome? Nine would be positive. Yeah. Uh, but by the time that's, as we know, that doesn't sell sell uh, media, uh, and that's reported as nine negative stories, yeah. one positive story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 although, of course, uh, the police, uh, the, the reporters, uh, National Union of Journalism says that they must be proportionate and and uh, balanced. Nobody's holding them to account, and mm. it's you're going to twist public opinion if you yeah. just print the negative stories all the time. Yeah, yeah. then you're going to you're going to change yeah. public opinion. Yeah, and, and what I say all the time is, um, you know, you got to be really careful. People have got to be really, really careful about this because this is your police service you're trashing. This is yeah. everyone's police service you're trashing. You know, yeah. and you haven't got another police service to replace it with. So no. before you smash something to pieces, make sure you've actually got something better to replace it with. And it kind of, it's a bit like, it's just probably a terrible analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's like a mate of mine, it, was, it could tell me a funny story about how his washing machine had gone on the blink and he tried to fix it because um, he, he's a bit of a sort of a handyman. And, and he, he uh, tried to fix it. It wasn't working. He'd done all sorts of things, you know, really fiddly. And he just lost his shit with the washing machine. And he got on, he got, he went to the garage, got a huge lump hammer and sm- <laughs> smashed his washing machine to pieces in a fit of rage. And that's what it feels like is happening to policing at the moment. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's not perfect. It can be fixed. Um, a lot of the issues going on with policing at the moment have been created by, I mean, the headline that, that made me really roll my eyes into the top of my head was at the weekend when Sunak was talking about, we need to fix, the headline was on the Daily Telegraph, we need to fix our broken emergency services. And I just thought, oh, my but Those God. that you broke. <laughs> the, the ones, ones that, that you, what, you, you mean, the ones that you fucking broke. Those <laughs> yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah. But, but and don't get me wrong, you know, because it's easy to, I think uh, the bosses at the minute are keeping the red down because everything looks defensive, they say at the moment. And mm. what I'm saying probably looks defensive. And I'm mindful, of course, we should be held to account. And, and of course, we it's right to scrutinise the police. Uh, of course, all those things are, are correct. But what I would say uh, to, to some of the, the, the national media is, what is your outcome? 
yeah. Because every time you you relentlessly uh, give them a kick in, and it's not proportionate, uh, unbalanced reporting. Every time you do that, those hardworking officers, working nights, come home, pick the newspaper up, or go online, have a look. Some will leave. Yeah. So you're part of the problem. You're part of the perfect storm now because you're 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 causing good people, experienced people, to leave the police. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem. And and so if your outcome is a better police service, mm-hmm. you're part of making it worse. Yeah. Because yeah. as we know, the, the other part of the perfect storm has been the twenty thousand uplift. Great. Mm-hmm. Let's do it quickly, even though. The infrastructure has, has has gone to a great deal because of, of those twenty odd thousand backroom staff uh, and and the training departments and the infrastructure it, it wasn't lined up. So mm. so so let's bring the twenty thousand in quickly because there's a, a a home office incentive financially to do it in a, in a time related way, and mm. and and so uh, has the level of candidate dropped do we have to lower that bar to get them in quickly some people would say they were i don't know about you but mine was Mm. a a three-day uh excuse me residential interview for my assessment just for my uh you got got visited at home for god's sake yeah i mean a lot of this stuff now people have been recruited into the police without any without them ever seeing people face a a zoom interview so so common sense dictates that, that that has to lead to a, a lower quality process. Oh, here, uh, sorry. Just want to before I forget to Alfie, my mate uh, who shall remain nameless is 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 working as part of the. Very, he's very very experienced um, copper, uh, and he's and he's helping with the training of new staff uh, at a force in the south of England that shall remain nameless. They had a seventeen year old turn up for his first day as a police probationer. Yeah. Lovely. So what's going on? So they talk about the vetting. They didn't yeah. get his flipping date of birth right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so this influx of, of people, uh, new starters, student officers, uh, are, are being trained in the main by other student officers uh, in, in many forces. Uh, I, I read about a case where, uh, and it, it, it's, it was a federation that did a report where where one student officer was training two or three other student officers. Oh, my God. New starters, uh, because the experience is, 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 is gone. And yeah. we've got this uh, quick influx of, of people. And you're thinking, well, what's that going to look like? Do you know, how, oh. how's that going to pan out for you? Yeah. You know, and so that's why I say it, it has to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Uh, and that's I mean, going to be interesting to see what, uh, you know, when it does reach the point where, Everyone has to, even the politicians have to admit that it's well and truly screwed. I think, I think, you know, what the remedial process looks like to get things back on track. I, I can't even guess at how complicated. And part of the problem for me as well. Sorry, we will move off this subject. You're talking at least a generation. I would yeah, think. I reckon okay, a generation. A, a, yeah, a yeah. generation. If you if you'd have asked me uh, five years ago. Are we the finest police service in the world? I wouldn't have hesitated. Yeah. Uh, ask me today, and I'm pausing before I answer. <laughs> I still think we 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 are. I still think we are, but we're getting closer closer to, the, to to that line. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So just before we finish, just a, a kind of a slight change in well, a complete change in direction. Um, have you ever 
um, considered anything on telly? Because I think I think you would be great in a kind of a. I could see you in a sort of a sitcom type situation, or of as a kind of a world weary custody sergeant, or who I think I've got to say just give custody sergeants a shy type, as they are some of the funniest mm -hmm. people I've ever met. Particularly yeah. old school custody sergeants were just comedy geniuses. Um, have you ever been approached to do anything like that? Yes, I have. And, and uh, I'm right, writing a new show called uh, that'll, that'll go out in the autumn called, uh, because this tour I'm doing is nearly at the end of its run. It finishes at, at the end of June. Uh, if you want to buy tickets, by the way. <laughs> I'm the definitely show. going to come and see you, uh, definitely. Alfiemore.com. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I was approached. Uh, a TV producer came to see the show, one of my shows at the Edinburgh Festival uh, a few years ago, mm. and... Uh, got very excited i mean we've not had a, a funny police sitcom really since the thin blue line mm. i remember that scott squad one whatever it was called was was yeah. was, was, was good but but at south of the border i don't think we've had one since the thin blue line 40 years ago mm. and, and and he 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 wanted me to write a, a pilot for a, for a sitcom and i said well i don't know how to write a sitcom he said well you can see the funny in the police you know and uh, you've got the knowledge you can see the funny and and so he put me with two sitcom writers mm. and we wrote a pilot and uh, ITV were interested. ITV paid some money right? Uh, and they paid for a, a second episode uh, and we wrote that and mm. uh, they wouldn't let me play the lead. Uh, it was sort of based on my life a bit, uh, sort of a Sergeant Bilko type character, right. really. Mm -hmm. uh, but they wouldn't let me... <laughs> <laughs> they won't let me play the lead, uh, and I'll not give Presumably, you were going to be in it, though. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Ex back to your point. Camera. Back to the point that my my part, uh, uh, I wrote for myself as a grumpy custody sergeant. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that was because I, you know, I, I'm busy. I write my own stuff for, for the radio, and I write my own stuff for tour. And and I said, well, uh, I'm not just for the money going to write the sitcom. I want to mm. be in it because if I'm in it and you see me pop up once a week, even if it's just a, you yeah. know, for one or two minutes a week, then I'll, I'll sell tickets for, for my tour show. So, yeah. so uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to build uh, a, a mm. live sort of touring audience. And, and so that was the deal really. And mm. we were backwards and forwards and uh, they, they agreed to this and uh, we were due to start filming it in spring 2020 oh, in April, God. 2020. Typical. Uh, uh, and and so we were about to start filming that, and uh, and then Mr. Covid came, and so it was like, well, we'll see what it's like in a couple of months, and it's like, no, it's not. Uh, we'll see what it's like the back end of 2020, see if we can start filming it, and uh, and then the the head of ITV comedy uh, left and got replaced by somebody else who wanted their own projects, and right. it sat on a dusty shelf somewhere oh. at ITV that uh, I suspect will never ever see the light of day now. Uh, such, a, such a shame. So it nearly happened. Very nearly happened. I was getting quite excited. I, I bought oh. some teeth whitening uh, well, paste never, and all sorts. <laughs> never say never, you know. I mean, I think uh, I think there's so much. As I said, there's so much humour, and some of that I can certainly think of at least half a dozen sergeants. I think this is the custody sergeant for me all day long was probably. Yeah. And the station officer, in the old days when we actually had station officers, some yeah. of the station officers we would have would be very, very funny people. No, they're excellent. But, but the, the TV, I must say, very, very ageist. Very ageist. Uh, is it? find it? ironic, really. Uh, mm. uh, but, but yes, they, they are. So 
you might see, uh, well, you will see uh, a 50-year-old established face on telly, mm. but mm. you'll you'll not, you'll very rarely see a 50-year-old new face on telly. They won't have a, a 50-year-old really? new face. Oh, God. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's very unfortunate, isn't it? And a massive, I think, a massive missed opportunity there. But um, yeah, well, but, they're, they're um, trying to attract the, you know, they've got uh, the Netflix and the streaming services barking at the, the, the reels. And so they are desperate, as, mm. as, as the BBC are really, and Radio 4 are, to attract that younger audience. Uh, and, and so that's, that's what they're all trying to do get the mm. younger people on board. Yeah. And uh, they don't think that having old faces is going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and she's staying on Radio 4. <laughs> yeah. Listen, my friend, um, it's probably not a bad point to wrap it up. Um, I, I'm super grateful to you, Alfie, for coming on. Pleasure. And Thanks for asking to me. me. It's been really lovely and uh, really enjoyed every minute of it. And um, uh, yeah, thanks ever so much for everything you do, everything you continue to do. Thanks for being such a great kind of advocate and evangelist of policing. I think it's just such a heartwarming you know i'd say for anyone who's listening to this uh, check it out and um, you know it's a fair cop on radio four uh really heartwarming stuff i particularly i particularly recommend the one about the stolen dog which i thought <laughs> the episode about um zeus you're yeah went le- leaping back into action again you know <laughs> brilliant listen thanks a million and uh i'd love to i'll definitely uh definitely come and see one of your shows uh i think your nearest to me is possibly solihull so i might come and see you at solihull all right but, okay. uh, but i'll drop you i'll drop you an email and let you know um, you know which one i'll be there and i'd love to buy you a beer or something lovely lovely to meet you ian you take care i'm working friend. my way through your uh your your, your audio well it's it's audio to me, but I'm, 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 I'm working my way through your book and enjoying it. All right. It. Good man. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, I'm surprised. I mean, sometimes you think, oh, God, you know, who's going to listen to this? But actually people do, and people have bought the book and seem to be really enjoying it. And I get emails almost, I wouldn't say every day, but most days I get an email or a message, a nice message from people saying how much they've enjoyed it. I've And I was terrified when I first sort of did it, you know, I've got the book published and, I thought, oh God, this is going to be a nightmare. I can, I'm going to get, I'm going to be getting trolled. I'm going to be getting activists coming. I'm going to have senior officers ringing me up saying, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Um, but you know, none of that, none of it. It's all been super positive, you know. And and the guests you have on your podcast, uh, really interesting guests. Mm, you know, some yeah. really really interesting guests. Yeah, for you. No, they're great. They're great. And I've, and again, going back to that point, isn't it, about that balance? You know, if if people listen to it and again that's a very common thing that people say who are not police they they contact me or they put reviews on and say i don't really know anything about the police but i've learned so much about the police and and i actually you know really get it now i really understand why you know it's such a difficult profession and so yeah so it's really good to be able to sort of again if i can do anything to kind of like try not to be a blind apologist for policing because no you're, you're absolutely right there's lots of things that need to change um but you know, and I know that the vast, vast majority are, are good people, aren't they? They're good people. Massive support, and I, and I think respect the role. You know, respect the role. If yeah. if if you if you want to do something positive, then 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 don't start from from a, a really sort of unfairly negative position. Respect right. the people. Respect the role. It's a hard job. Pay them a decent wage, and then you'll attract the right candidate. It's 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 quite common sense, really. Yeah, especially, you know, I, I do a lot of corporate work still. Uh, I do less than I used to, and I try and pick the good gigs. Uh, mm. But, uh, you know, I, I did one yesterday, uh, but sorry, last week in insurance, uh, very nice people. It was a lunch, and I was chatting to them, 
and they were bumping the money up at senior management uh, insurance because of this this massive void of skill, really? massive void of the right type of skilled candidate, and that's happening a lot at the moment in industry. Mm. Mm. Uh, and and the marketplace is quite healthy for yeah. you know. Yeah. So so yeah. Uh, as we know, policing gives people lots of uh, skills, uh, life skills. Mm. You know. There's opportunities for the people, so we yeah. need to make it attractive for them to stay, and we need to yeah. make it attractive for them to join because, or, or, or we'll lose the best quality candidates. Yeah, we will. We will. Very sadly, you're absolutely right. But uh, right, my friend, you take care of yourself. Enjoy the rest you. of your day, and uh, I'll catch up with you at one of your venues. I'll come and uh, come and stalk you, but I promise not to heckle. Cheers, Ian. Lovely right. talking to you. Cheers, Alfie. Bye. 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 <laughs>